What up, people? You know who this is. It's Swizz. Dan Nathan uh, right beside me. In just a few minutes, EY from SoFi. Now, typically Thursday is the last day we do this, but we got a special one coming up tomorrow, Market Call, 11 a.m. Please join. Today's episode, Dan, brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, SoFi, Dan, get your money right all-in-one application. I just like saying application. We are powered by Open Exchange. A lot going on, Dan Nathan. I got to tell you something. The market is puzzling me here because I thought we'd be on the verge of a significant rally. We're not yet. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, guy. I mean, a lot of people think we're really oversold. Yesterday, we hit some of those kind of bull bear sentiment indicators. They seem to be as bearish as they were in May before we had that sort of bounce here. And they're just not putting together a bunch of groups acting in kind in the stock market that suggest that we are on the cusp of that big rally. So so interesting, there's been a lot of Fed speak. Obviously, we had the Fed meeting last week. We have Jerome Powell in front of Congress. There's been some you know comments, some hawkish comments about rates. But I really think, Guy, it has to do with some of the data that we're seeing on the economy, just speaking to the fact that things are slowing. And, and this is one where you, know, you and I have to opine on this all the time. We have lots of strategists come on CNBC with us on Fast Money. You know, we're talking about a lot of the calls that they're making. This one from JP Morgan, Marco Kalanovic, you know, saying that he thinks that the S&P is going to round trip the whole move and we're going to see a new high, I think, within a year or so. Talk to me about this one. He seems routinely bullish in the face of no matter what the bad news is as it relates to markets, the economy. What's your take on this call? Yeah, it's a look. You know, I like Marco. We've met him a number of times, and I think you're right. I think he, he leans bullish, which is fine, but I think his work is thoughtful. It would take Herculean efforts by this year end to get the market to new highs, I think. Now, if he's talking a year out from now, we'll have a much different conversation. But I'll say this, you know, I thought, Dan, we were set up for at least an 8 or 9% rally. I still think that. I think 4100 Maybe 4,200 in the S&P is achievable, and we have a chart that sort of speaks to that because we'd still be in this downtrend. But then I think we did take the next leg lower. And the reason why that I thought that is, look, we are clearly in oversold conditions. All the sentiment seems to be leaning bearish. Typically, that's when you get a bit of a pivot here. These Fed people are out of the way for the foreseeable future, and we're sort of in this earnings gap between now and when earnings start coming out where Markets tend to levitate, not least of which, by the way, we have a 4th of July holiday coming up and markets tend to do okay on those holiday shortened weeks. So that's why I thought we could rally from here. I think the sell-off is going to occur towards the end of July. Again, just my opinion. When Apple reports, again, I think the quarter might be fine. I don't think it's about the quarter. I think it's be all about the guide. And I think Apple is going to be the one that makes us take the next leg lower. So that's how I'm sort of game planning this out for the next month or so. But new highs by the end of the year, I don't see it. Yeah. And again, you know, he's calling for a, you know, a big second half rally. I thought this was really interesting. You and I, we get a preview of John Butters. He's love Butters. Yeah. You love Butters. And that's why we're going to do it right here. So Friday mornings, his, his earnings insight blog newsletter comes out and he gives us a preview of that. And we highlight it here on market call on Thursdays. And it's really interesting because this kind of bookends pretty nicely with Marco's call here, man, you know, Butters is highlighting guy, just Mm -hmm. how high these strategists year end or 52 week you know, targets are. And right now, the average of all the strategists that he pulls is just above 5,000, which is absolutely amazing. Talk to me about that because here he's saying that, yeah, the the targets are likely to come down, 
but a likely dip below 5,000 this week for the first time since August 23 of 2021. That's nearly a year from now. So the estimate on the way to 5,000 just kept on going higher and higher throughout the past year. So I know EY is listening and she's sitting sort of in the bullpen waiting to come in. So I'm going to yeah, sort yeah. of, yeah, do you hear that, Dan? That's her. <laughs> so I had to take the math in high school and I think I took it in college as well. And as you've come to realize over the years, I'm not the brightest bulb in the fixture, but in order to get to 5,000, my math suggests $250 worth of earnings for the S&P 500, which we ain't getting. And then you got to put a 20 multiple on that, which makes no sense in this environment. So you know, you can get to 5,000 a number of different ways. I just tried to get you there the sort of the straight math way. I just don't see how it's possible. You have to looking for multiple expansion in a time when earnings are going to decelerate, in my opinion, when the Fed is trying to put the brakes on everything. And you're going to have to get $250 worth of earnings, which I don't think we're anywhere close to. So no. 5,000 to me is a bit of a pipe dream, Dan. And I think to Butter's <clears> point, <throat> by the way, bringing him early is very cool. You know, I just think people are going to have to sort of ratchet those numbers down. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, one of the things you've been highlighting along the way is fine. We can look at all these equity market targets and kind of S&P earnings estimates, which we, again, think is going to come down, as you just said. But you've been keeping an eye on the credit market, specifically mm -hmm. on high yield. And you've been highlighting a market calling on fast money, just kind of the rollover that we saw in the HYG, that's ETF, the trucks, high yield debt here. And, you know, this headline caught my eye, Guy, this morning, one of the first things I read from Bloomberg talking about corporate distress, distress in Europe is highest since August of 2020. Shocking. You, yeah. Well, when you consider what's going on, you know, with the war in Ukraine, I mean, again, you know, you and I both said that we think there's a really good chance that Europe is probably in a recession and the U.S. is not far behind. And I just mentioned this because, you know, look at Deutsche Bank. It's down 12% today. I don't see any big headlines. It's making new 52-week lows. That weakness is bleeding over. I know that U.S. banks have the results of their stress test which are no longer a real thing anymore. I mean, any surprises out of that guy would be a massive surprise for the market. But look at JP Morgan down nearly 3%, mm -hmm. Bank of America down nearly 4%, you know, Wells is down 3.5%, City down 3%. That's really bad price action. JP Morgan, if you look at this chart, is really sitting, you know, right at key support level. You see that air pocket, that's that gap from late 2020, really feels like it's going to fill that very near 52-week lows here. So what's your take on those sorts of headlines, what's going on maybe in high yield and credit in general in Europe and how it's seeping through to our banks and what yeah. they might be saying about the health of our economy right now? All right, so let's do this one first. We'll take a look at JP Morgan. You can full screen it if you want. I thought we did a decent job. Now, I know that you were sort of bearish on the entire complex for quite some time and you were right to be. And you said, look, if things start to deteriorate, JP Morgan's not going to be impervious to that. That was spot on. Then a few weeks ago, we said, you probably can play banks for a bounce here. And we caught that one pretty cold. If you do recall, Carter Worth, I think, was talking about that as well. I have to use this word. I'm shocked at how poorly these banks have traded since that bounce. I mean, you really have to start to wonder what's underneath the hood there. And I do think it speaks to Credit concerns. Now, going to Deutsche Bank, if you've watched Fast Money over the years, I've participated in that show for every year since its inception. Yeah, Deutsche have. Bank has been a – it's one of those – what do they call it? Well, I, you can't scratch no, no, I got for it. me. And it's I have a, been steadfast in my 
desire to point out that Deutsche Bank probably has the yeah. biggest derivatives book in the history of mankind. Not and anymore. That's going to be ground zero if things go pear shaped. No, well, well, first things first. In all the years that you've been doing fast money, I would say that Deutsche Bank has been a bug up your ass. Yes. If you well, will. I was going to try to keep yeah. it clean. I think yes. it no longer has. It no longer has that that kind of scale. That 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 company has been like absolutely taken apart. Just to be very frank here, so it really kind of speaks to maybe the health of the bank and some of the exposure that they have in European energy mm-hmm. or something like that. So to me, but I think it's really important to note, and, and you were right for a long time on that. Hey, guy, here's a headline that's kind of hitting hitting the tape right now. Oh, I, this I, is I, a real-time stuff? Real-time, and I want to get your take that Pink Floyd Stop is it. in a deal to sell their entire catalog. Hold on, don't say it. Don't say it. Give I'll tell number. you right now. I'll give you the number. $600 million. I have no idea. All right, you know what? It, it, the deal says five hundred million. It's coming across my fact set screens right now. Here, what do you think about that? I mean, again, here's the only thing that I think would be really exciting as a fan of Pink Floyd. I don't really care who owns the catalog, and I'm happy for those guys to get paid. But man, oh man, can't David Gilmore and Roger Waters? Why can't they just hug it out, go on a global tour here, and give the people what they want? What people want it because i can tell you without without equivocation and i ain't waiting online what? to watch pink floyd but if you think about it good for them for cashing out i thought it would be closer to 600 you know why because so many of their songs fit right into the wheelhouse of all these friggin' insurance companies that seemingly are everywhere in terms of advertisements so way to cash in good for them i thought Fair they could have held out for more somebody's going to go for a billion at some point i'm surprised you know, I'm not sure who it's going to be, but somebody's going to hit that number, Dan. All right, listen, breaking news. Bring it to you. All right, let's like bring that. let's bring yeah, our guest way, in. Isn't, isn't that one cat? Isn't he touring or something? Isn't he playing? Like no, somewhere? no, no. But here's the thing. I mean, David Gilmore has been touring as Pink Floyd for 30 years. You know, prior, you know, since their breakup, and Roger Waters has also been touring on his own. And I've seen both of them. I much prefer David Gilmore's vocals and his guitar. I mean, Roger Waters is obviously, you know, a great, you know, lyricist, if you will. But you know, he's not Pink Floyd, in my opinion. All right, but that's debatable. Duly no. Yeah. Well, right. now we're cutting into EY's time. Yeah, we it's, are. It's funny because, you know, it's a musical theme. So please continue, Dan. I don't want to take no, it. There she is. Her in. Do it. I mean, listen, guy, just so you know, because you, like you say, you've been doing TV for a very long time. She can't just be EY. You got to give the whole name here. You got to lay out the whole thing, well, right? So give it to us. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. She's Elizabeth Young. Yeah. She works at SoFi. She not only works at SoFi. I mean, she's the shit at SoFi. Am I allowed to say that? Sure. I mean, yes, I say sure. it. You can I say it. I can't. EY from SoFi because, you know, I just think it's catchy. Now I've noticed, by the way, that some other people out there seem to be garnering that. And that's, listen, that's fine. You want to, you want to piggyback G-Swizz? I get it. But, you know, one of the things that we love about you, Liz, is the notes you put out. You heard Dan and I just opine. So briefly sort of push back on what we said, and let's get right into your well, notes. Okay, the first, the first thing we need to settle is, is it Deutsche Bank or Deutsche Bank? Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Okay. I swear I, Dan I was mean, saying you know, Deutsch. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know which one of us is doing it wrong. Deutsche Bank. I think that's the right pronunciation. Mm-hmm. All right. The 5,000 price targets. We'll yeah. start yes. there. They feel a little outrageous to me. And I will admit that about two months ago, I was pretty bullish about the second half of the year. I still think the second half is going to be better than the first, but the first was pretty bad. So that's not saying a lot. But I think it's going to play out a little bit differently. And I think that we can have a decent rally, but it won't happen until later in the year. So, Guy, I know you were calling for a little rally right now. 
I still think we see volatility through July. I hope I'm wrong on that. I hope it ends before that. But the reason I say that is because we've still got this data that's going to roll in. The economy is really now showing the signs of weakness that we needed to see. We need the labor market to start rolling over. And in July, obviously, we know earnings season starts. And I think that's when we're going to hear this huge swath of earnings revisions downward. I don't think the market is going to like that. It might not necessarily know what to do with it. So it's just volatile and chops around in a range. But then I think volatility probably calms down later in summer and maybe in fall. The boost that's possible that could get us somewhere above where we are now is November, December. So get past the midterm elections. And maybe that's the time in the year where the Fed says, "Okay, you know what? We've seen three straight months or more of declining inflation. Now we're going to only go 25 basis points at a time. I think that sends the market up pretty sharply. But I don't think that we're going to retrace all of what we've drawn down this year. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned credit as well. Just sort of opine quickly on that, because that's that has not been top of mind for anybody. It's seemingly becoming top of mind for a lot of people. And I think to Dan's point about European banks and then potentially bleeding over here, I mean, that is clearly a concern. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because it used to be the belief that the credit market knew things before the equity market did. And now it seems like we're in a time where the equity market did it first, right? Credit, I think, as the year goes on, is going to break down more than it has, and that's going to become a problem. I still sit here and wait, and and I don't know what's going to happen, obviously. I don't know who this would be, but I'm still sitting here waiting for some announcement of a big company running out of liquidity, right? Mm -hmm. Something that kind of comes out of left field, shocks everybody, and then we wonder how much of a contagion effect there is. I think that happens as credit continues to break down. So maybe sometime between now and early to mid-fall, we get an announcement like that, or we get some kind of earnings reports that are surprisingly negative. Yeah, I just mentioned to your point, you know, Danny Moses, who does on the tape podcast with Guy and myself, I mean, he's been talking about some of these very names, especially as it relates into, you know, like fintech and lending, you know, Carvana is down 90%. For all intents Mm -hmm. and purposes, that equity is kind of gonzo here. And and to your point, Liz, it's kind of waiting for maybe one of those sorts of headlines. But at that point, maybe that's kind of when we see a little air come out of the just the fear in and around some of that space. But Guy, I got to, you know, again, two days in a row yesterday you and i were talking about just like some of these industrials cat and mm-hmm. deer just acting so poorly we mentioned you know freeport yesterday was down eight percent it's down seven percent today we're going to hit the energy stocks after liz knows semiconductors act horrible banks act horrible so the nasdaq is up a little bit we're also going to hit some kind of squeezy nasdaq names in a little bit also but nasdaq's up 25 bips the s p is flat to down a little bit and some of the really important groups i think just act like you know what Makes sense, though, if you start to really break it apart. I mean, 10-year yields, have it's really remarkable if you think about it. I think they topped that at 348 yeah. or so just a couple of weeks ago, down to, what, 304 right now? I haven't looked at it in the last 15, 20 minutes. But think about that. I mean, again, just pointing out what is an absurd move in a short period of time. So how does that answer your question? Well, it makes sense in terms of the industrials are lower. People are concerned the growth is slowing. Obviously, this reopen trade in that form doesn't seem to be coming to fruition. Why is tech hanging in there? Because they like lower yields, right? So I think that's what you're seeing. I don't want to make it that simplistic, but I think that's what it is, Dan. 
Yeah, well, speaking of simplistic, Liz, you break down what's going on in the energy sector here. You know, this is one where a lot of bulls, at least as far as the stock market were concerned, is saying, hey, listen, we're getting a lot of really great earnings growth at a time where other sectors in the market have been decelerating, and that should be able to kind of keep things afloat a little bit. You've also seen rotation, you know, into some of the big integrated names, some of the drillers, and for a whole host of reasons, right? Talk to us a little bit about your note today. You're calling it one is the loneliest number. I know. No, guy, get in there, buddy. On well, that, before but... she opines, that was a <laughs> song written, I believe, by the great Harry Nielsen, made famous by the band Three Dog Night, which it's just a, just not good on any. <laughs> there's nothing good about any of that, by the way, the name, the title. And then one is the loneliest number. Two is can be as bad as one. I mean, the, the lyrics <laughs> of this song suck. <laughs> Very but confusing. Listen, I mean, I know you enjoy doing this. I have a big smile on your face. So walk us through this one uh, is the loneliest number. Well, I just enjoy that it's going to be in everybody's head for the rest oh, of the day. Geez. So you're all welcome for that. One is the loneliest number is because energy is the only sector that has a positive return over three yeah. months, six months, and year to date. And there continue to be a lot of people out there saying that energy is still a good trade. There's further upside in it. So I did this article to break down a couple things. Number one, to talk about the fact that commodity prices have started to roll over. And in the commodity market, that's a place that you can get crushed because it moves so quickly. So when you look at just the price of oil, and I know we talked about this late last fall, oil prices tend to spike before recessions. So now we've had this prolonged period of high oil prices we're probably going to see a recession at some point in the next 12 to 18 months. And we'll look back on that oil chart and say, oh, there it was. That was the signal, right? Mm -hmm. So if we start to roll over, I said this in the article, it's going to look like blunt force trauma on a chart and oil prices fall off a cliff. There's a couple things that could happen that would make that even more dramatic that we are not going to see coming. Things like a de-escalation in Russia, Ukraine. If we do have a recession and demand destruction, you're going to see the demand for oil and energy come down dramatically. Now, the other thing that I pointed out in this article is that the reason a lot of people still have buy targets on all these energy stocks is because the stocks don't necessarily follow the commodity prices, right? The stocks can still make money. The companies can still make money because oil is still considerably higher than it was two years ago. And that's important to note. But I do think that if we go into a recession, some of the cyclical stuff that hasn't fallen yet will fall. So I think people have made a decent amount in energy, and it's a lot more important to miss that sharp downside than it is to stick around and hope for another 5 to 10% on the upside. I mean, listen, Guy, you know, you, you've had the oil trade down for the better part of this year, you know, and you got a bit skeptical as we kind of went on that parabolic rise in crude oil in March, but then the same in the equities over like the last month and a half or so. And you look at the way that they kind of went, you know, escalator up, elevator down. I mean, the XLE, which we know, you know, 40% of that is Chevron and Exxon is down, what, 20% in a straight line in two weeks. And the OIH, the oil services is down about 30%. And again, I mean, it really just speaks to the sort of rotations that we've seen in a market where lots of sectors are not working. It becomes became a really crowded trade. And when everyone heads for the door at the same time, this is the sort of price action you see. The other question though, and Liz makes a lot of great points in her note, is just like, might that be as good as it gets? You know what I mean? And if we do have the sort of deceleration, even if crude stays, you know, 85 to 105 or something like that, the stocks are not, you know, they're not off to the races from here on out. 
Yeah. Well, the other thing that I said in the note, it depends on what your objective is as an investor, right? If you're young, you've got a long time horizon. Chances are your objective is still price appreciation above all else. But if you're looking for dividend income or if you're looking for companies that are going to increase their dividend, the energy companies are probably going to engage in dividend increases and buybacks. So there will be boosts and and maybe floors created on the prices because of that. So if that's your objective, it's still okay to own these. I just don't think that it's the only place that you should be putting money right now. And I think there's a possibility that even if we do have further downside in the market, we bounce pretty good on the other side of it. And you want to make sure that you're exposed to some of the other stuff that hasn't seen this huge run up. You want to be exposed to the things like financials. And you guys went over a bunch of the different financials, the stuff that is sold off and is trading at multiples that's pre-pandemic, and even things like small cap trading at multiples that are 2008, 2009 levels, right? You want to make sure that you have money in those places for a cyclical bounce if and when it happens. Since I give you a wide berth because I dig you, as you know, the fact that you lumped Three Dog Night in with a Queen lyric, although another (laughs) one bites the dust is their shittiest song, but then... The juice ain't worth the squeeze or the squeeze or whatever that line, you know, that, by the way, for you folks playing our home game is Led Zeppelin has used that a number of different times. I won't bring it up here. Proper decorum prohibits me from doing such, but you should never, ever have Led Zeppelin in with Three Dog Night ever again, EY. Just pointing that out. Dan, back to you. Yeah, Guy, really quickly here. So XLE, we were talking about it with Carter on the chart yesterday. 70 was a big level. That rising 200-day moving Mm -hmm. average down there about 66. Are you of the mindset, if we were to get there sort of quickly, and to Liz's point, you really have to decide what your time horizon is and how you want to diversify a little bit. But would that be a level, 66 and a half or so? I think so. you'd be buying with both hands. I think that's exactly right. And I think in this case, I think the energy stock sold off before the commodity started breaking down because the market was selling off. And I think people said, wait a second, what do we have profits in? Let's pull the ripcord here on these energy names. So I think that sort of exaggerated the move and accelerated it. But you have to look at a WTI chart as well. And we happen to have one, throw that up and sort of get a handle on what's going on. And again, that little move to the downside, that's obviously when we went negative a couple of years ago. But you back that out and you're looking at crude oil that is still going to be right up against that support of the 200-day moving average. So I'm hard-pressed to believe crude's going to fall off a cliff here to EY's point about potentially Ukraine, Russia, some sort of detente. Yeah, I think for one or two days, you might see a pretty significant move to the downside. But I still think supply-demand fundamentals are such a crude should be higher. So to answer your original question, I'd be looking to get into the XLE at these levels. Yeah, and I just mentioned this guy. This is a long-term chart. You go back to that period, you know, post-financial crisis where there was a lot of volatility, obviously got rejected in and around that kind of $120 level on numerous occasions. And so what's interesting about that period is it was a rising dollar and we were also coming off a zero interest rate bound. So to me, that technical resistance, even though it was like near-term breached this time around, is really important. All right, guys, let's look at some of these knock-ons and I'd love to get Liz's take on this. We see, you know, the airlines are just absolutely getting creamed today. Look at that Mm -hmm. Jets. It's making, the headlines are not great, right? So we're seeing for a whole host of the reasons, whether it be like, you know, wages and and access to workers and, you know, just kind of weird supply demand dynamics and input costs and all that sort of stuff. Airlines are having a tough time. That was supposed to be a big pent up trade. And I'm just curious when you look at the price action, it's not just airlines, but Airbnb, Morgan Stanley took their target 
from 145 to 100. Today, the stock started the day at 100, right? And look at Expedia making new 52-week lows. Look at the weakness here. Liz, I'm just curious, what is your take when you see this group of stocks that there was all this pent-up demand, it was supposed to be you know, hot whatever summer here, and these stocks act like we're in the middle of a, a recession? Well, I think last summer was hot vax summer. Oh, I right. just learned about that. I missed it when it happened, evidently. But so I think we already saw the pent up demand. I think it already happened. And there's some other little intricacies about this, right? Everybody that had trips that were canceled because of COVID already had them to be booked with vouchers or whatever the case yeah. may be. And they started taking all of those. And that's probably on the tail end now. So it's become cost prohibitive to travel. I mean, any of us who have tried to book an airline ticket just for personal reasons, it's ridiculous what some of them are costing and even just in coach what they cost, right? Mm -hmm. So I think people are slowing that down a little bit. And I don't know that we're going to see it pick up a ton for the rest of the year. I think one of the things we were counting on in that space was business travel coming back, which it has, and it's been increasing, but it hasn't quite made up for all of the other headwinds that airlines are facing not as much leisure travel because leisure travelers are the ones that are price sensitive and then obviously fuel costs. And then not to mention all the stuff that happened last weekend. What was it like 5,000 flights were canceled? Mm, yeah. That's not a good look for the whole industry. Not at all. And just to give a visual on Airbnb, because why not, you know, Morgan Stanley, but take a look at this chart in Airbnb. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, if you think about where it was and where we are now, I mean, this was, Dan, as you know, the A in my dawn trade, and I was yeah. looking like a bit of a genius for a while. Now I look like a total dork because this thing is at levels we haven't seen in quite some time. So, you know, that reopen trade that I think we all thought was going to be robust in the second half clearly is problematic right now, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, Airbnb is one of these companies that's obviously disrupting some longstanding incumbents here. And, and again, it's just really investors getting comfortable with valuation on a gap basis. The company is still unprofitable and it still trades about seven times sales. So, I mean, this is really kind of what you're dealing with in tech. Actually, they were unprofitable last year on a gap basis, expect to be profitable this year. So this is one I think that investors will come back to because of that disruption, because of that market share. The other one, guy, take a look at this Jets. This is the ETF that tracks the airline. When you look at, you know, 40% of the weight of that are the majors. It's Southwest, but then it's American United and Delta. You see that downtrend that we have there. Is the sentiment getting really bad right now? Is this like maybe looking for a good spot to take a shot on the lounge? Uh, long yeah, side for I mean, back? the short answer is yes, I think mm -hmm. so. But I would have said this, you know, three, four weeks ago as well. I, I you know, I thought this was the next leg higher. I thought just on valuation, you could own these names. And now again, I think the market's selling first, asking questions later. But at these levels, just eyeballing this, I think this is an attractive level to get in. And there are some value names. I mean, the Wall Street Journal's putting out some pieces about, I mean, when the Wall Street Journal starts yeah. talking about value, Dan, you got to sort of peek your head up, I would think. And I think one of those names you probably agree with in the form of Facebook, which has just been taken out to the woodshed. Yeah, we talked about it a bit on Fast Money last night. Jim Cramer had Mark Zuckerberg on his show. And actually, Zuckerberg did a good job. And he's not known to do a good job, whether he's sitting in front of Congress or sitting with Kara Swisher. He often sweats here. But the company has embarked on a huge, huge pivot here. And I think a lot of skepticism about the spending for that pivot into what they call the metaverse. There won't be just one metaverse. And I think a lot of people are skeptical in general about Zuckerberg's leadership. But this stock is really cheap. 80% gross margins, expected earnings and sales growth next year of 15%, trading about 11 and a half times. I actually bought a little bit today, guy. I have not bought 
Facebook, other than to cover a short, and I can't tell you how long, which means that I missed out on a lot of big gains, and I don't like the company as you don't, but maybe this pivot is something that's really interesting and down here. Look at that support. I think that you have probably, to the downside, 20% from here, but you have a four or five X over the next five years if you get this thing right. And to your point about valuations, Liz, I'm curious your take here. To Guy's point, when guys, when, when the Wall Street Journal starts talking about some of the names that we've all thought were really expensive for the last five years prior to the market collapse, Facebook, Netflix, and PayPal, and they're starting to say they see value. Just, you know, I bought some PayPal last month too. What does that mean to you from a sentiment standpoint as far as where investors need to get their heads for some sort of capitulation in some of these kind of widely held names? Well, first of all, I don't think I can define those three as value stocks. I would call them growth at a reasonable price. But what it means is that I think we've seen enough in a lot of those and especially those growth stocks. However, The fact that the Fed will continue raising rates, even in the face of recession risk, is going to keep a lid on that through the rest of this year. So although I do think it is completely fine to be buying into some of those right now and even buying into the queues right now and dripping in over the summer at bottomish levels, right? you're going to have to wait it out. And it's going to be a two to three year story before you really see the price appreciation that you probably want to see from those growth names. Dan, they say no two fingerprints are the same. Apparently, no two snowflakes are the same either, which segues us nicely into JP Morgan's call. And you know what? I'm actually sort of on board with this one. I think you are as well. Yeah. I mean, listen, this stock, you know, again, was one of the most like highly touted, you know, SaaS names to come out in the last few years run by a guy named Slootman, which, you know, people think is just a legend as far as tech. The problem that we had with Snowflake was the valuation, right? It was trading at its highs over 40 or 40. 45 times sales, you know, and obviously the company was growing expected. They gave long-term guidance out to 2029 that they're going to do $10 billion in sales. I mean, that's great. But what we're doing, and this goes back to Liz redefining what we just said about value for some of those names is like, okay, it's relative to what I would say. I just said with Facebook, it's trading at about 11 and a half times expected 15% earnings growth. Well, you could say, well, that's the lowest earnings growth that they've had in 10 years since a publicly traded company. So maybe it deserves that sort of discount to the multiple. You know, Snowflake's going to make no lower lows, guy, because this thing is not done, meaning the broad market here. And until you take some of these names sort of out to the woodshed, it just can't, you know, the market's not going to bottom with Snowflake trading at 19 times this year's sales. That's just my take right there. Fair enough. And I will tell you, in terms of taking things out, apparently EY took her father out to a baseball game, which is sweet as can be. I did. I saw that picture. You were explaining something in the press room. Can you just sort of elaborate (laughs) on that before we get out? Well, I'll apologize first, Guy, because it was definitely a Mets tour. It wasn't a Yankees tour. But yes, took my dad to Mets Stadium on Father's Day. We did the whole shindig. We were on the field. We were in the press room. We pretended to have interviews in the press room. And then I sent you guys a joking picture that I got a new job as some kind of spokesperson for the Mets. You'd be fabulous. Let me ask you a question. If you if we put the mitts on, we'd have a catch. I mean, am, am I going to be impressed by your prowess or am I going to be like, Absolutely. oh, good. I like I that. played did second it. base. Did you really? I sure did. You bat from the right-hand side. What would you say, better glove or better stick for you? Well, way better glove. If my dad was here, he would have started laughing at that question. <laughs> way better glove. They spent way too much money on private hitting lessons for me that never worked. I was a very good bunter, though. You never want... 
Can I tell you something for future reference? You never want to bring that up again, okay? That's not a badge of honor. I mean, good glove, no stick. I mean, that's true for a lot of people out there, and it's probably true for me, but that's all we got time for today, Dan. Is that correct? You want to say goodbye to Liz? Let's say goodbye to Liz. That was great. I really appreciate you kind of pushing back on that 5,000. You are a strategist. You're one that we keep an eye on. So those 5,000 targets, we know that's not on your radar anytime soon, but it's interesting to make note of that. And obviously those are going to come down. So let's see where they bottom out before this market bottoms. So EY, have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Later. And that's why you take math into school, folks. So if you're thinking about dropping math, don't drop it because you learned how to get to 5,000 using the G Swiss math. Anyway, that's it for Market Call. As I mentioned, Dan, and I'm going to say this again, back tomorrow, special time, 11 a.m. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, and thank you for being powered by, of course, Open Exchange. For more great content from EY, and it is great, follow her on Twitter. I know you all are. Tell your friends at Liz Young Strat and sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com slash daily. And look, if you dig this show, if you think it sucks, send us a lot, send us something. Send send us a text or an at on Twitter or whatever you people do to convey your thoughts. Please do it for us because we take the good with the bad. As you know, if you follow me on Twitter, Dan, you'll know that I enjoy both. And yes, tomorrow, 11 a.m. special time, and Carter Worth will be joining us, Dan Nathan. All right, Guy Dami, thanks a lot. We'll see you all. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow at 11.